Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Speaking to pastors, leaders, people on leadership teams, emerging leaders, aspiring leaders, all in this room here, um, we all know that merely opening the doors of our church is an act of spiritual war. Hello? Everything we do in the name of Jesus is spiritual war. Refurbing your church like this is an act of spiritual war, and the devil hates that because you're, you're upgrading, you're making yourself better, you're drawing people into the kingdom by doing that. And as soon as you are confronting people's mindsets, you are involved in spiritual war. And um, we do also understand as leaders that um, it's inevitable and unavoidable that we will be involved in a spiritual conflict. And um, I've entitled my talk, Killing the Giant of the Day. Because every day, every level, every phase of church life, every chapter of church life has another giant that needs to be killed. It was Miles Monroe that used to say, every level's got a new devil. And you might level up to use gaming technology, um, terminology, but the fact is every time we level up in Christ and in faith in the way we're doing church, we're also leveling up in the spiritual attack that's going to come against us. And um, we're not frightened of that, we're not scared of that, but we are aware of that. And if we're aware of it, we need to be armed for that. You will fight giants in every phase of church growth, at every phase of renovation, at every phase of change. But what we have to realize is that although um, they, these attacks will take on human form, the battle is not a physical one. We are involved in spiritual warfare. I was chatting to a, a pastor friend of mine in Norwich just a, a couple of weeks ago. they become good friends of his. And just because recently he did some upgrades in the, the decor of his church, he lost 60 people. <laughs> he had a church of 200. He's, he's down a few numbers. Why? Because he changed a few light bulbs. And you see, very often that, that's a very... It's, it's a good activity to involve yourself in because you'll very soon find out who's attached to your church and who was merely attending your church. And I've done ministry on the difference between the attached and the attending, and the attending will leave at any moment's notice because they're looking for an excuse to leave. The giants that we face are circumstances that arise and threaten us and seem to cause us to do an about turn in our thinking or to even doubt our, um, our, our calling and to have a lack of confidence in, think, in things that we were very confident about at one stage. So I want to take a reading from the book of Numbers chapter 13 from the NIV. Numbers 13, I'm going to read from verse 17 downwards. Um, it says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, that's of course the spies, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. 
So they went up and explored the land of the desert of Zin as far as Rahab towards Labo Hamath. And they went up through the Negev. And they came to Hebron where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. And we'll know that the descendants of Anak were known to be what we would call giants, I suppose. They were just extremely large, tall people. Um, Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land and they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. Suddenly there's a but. Yeah, we saw the milk and honey, but... The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, the Electric Lights, and the Marmites. They live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We need people in our churches that say we certainly can do it. And there's going to be a time when you as the leader are going to be the only one saying that. We certainly can. But I'll tell you what, vision is contagious when it's carried by God. And we need to embody that. We need to live that and not just be talking about what we're planning on doing, but start doing it and God will guide our footsteps. You see, this attitude, we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Good grief. Sensationalism. This guy should write for what, People magazine or whatever it is. I mean, suddenly the land is eating people. They didn't see this happening. But isn't it true that bad report grows like a virus? It just gets bigger and bigger. And suddenly the land's eating people. It devours those living in it. All the, Suddenly, all the other tribes that they mentioned are gone. Now they're just focusing on the Anakites. And it says, all the people we saw there are of great size. Suddenly, everyone's a giant. But you see, when fear replaces faith, everything becomes bigger than what it originally is. And the greatest fear that we have is the fear of what might happen. And what might happen looks like a massive monster until you get closer to it. And you see it is actually something very small. And it's a lot smaller than your faith and your vision. But sometimes we will turn around and run away. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. More about that later. Twelve men are sent out to check out the promised land. The ultimate goal of the long journey, they've come to the very borders of the place that God has already told them that they are going to possess. So in other words, it's already a done deal that this place is theirs. It's signed, sealed, and waiting to be delivered. All they had to do was go in there, focus on what God was focusing on, and they could lay, they could lay a hold of the land. 
This was to be their finest hour. But what amazes me is how just when our finest hour should be approaching, we so often look for reasons as to why it should not be so. As if we can't believe that God wants us to do well. I can't believe that I got the building. I can't believe that I got the land. There must be something wrong. Something must have gone. Oh, you, <laughs> didn't you pray for it? Now God has given it to you. Let's rejoice in the favor of God. Rather than look back and say, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Suddenly I'm, I'm not sure if we can do this. It's as if we can't believe that God wants us to do well. And sometimes the giant is our own thinking and our own lack of willingness to take a risk. I've said it before, you'll never grow a church without taking a risk. You'll never grow a church without spending money. You'll never grow a church without saying goodbye to people. Because some people are a cork in a bottle. And it's gone very quiet now. I'm not talking about any of you, okay? (laughs) You're the nice ones. But it's a fact when people have said to me, I can't believe we lost this in that family. And I've just had a prophetic word for them. And I've said, you know what? They were a cork in the bottle. And as soon as they go, they're just gonna, you're going to shoot forward with new growth. As Paul Scanlon always said that for your church to grow, some people will leave and some people must. Don't fear that kind of thing. It's a pruning process and pruning always brings new life. These men, they, they went and they saw the milk and honey. They carried the grapes. They were there. They were looking at, they were looking at, at the goodness of God. They witnessed the beauty. But they were faced with a choice. And I call it the choice of focus. The choice of focus. What are you setting your eyes on? Because whatever you focus on will determine your next step. If you are looking at all the mess and all the the disappointment around you, and you're focusing on all of that, your next step is not going to be a step in faith. Your next step is probably going to be a step backwards to get away from it. But if you're focused on the end goal, and you're looking at where you're headed to, and you're focusing on what God wants, if what you're focusing on is going to determine whether you're actually going to step out or not. And people are saying, but what if that step is wrong? A step taken in faith is going to be guided by God. He will catch your foot and he will put it on the pathway that he wants it to be on. As a leader, we're batting on a batsman's wicket. We can't go wrong. God has already laid it out for us. The promised land is waiting for us to take possession of it. We need to be able to let that risk-taking rise up in us. Yes, people will leave. Yes, people will get disgruntled. But I tell you what, if you are carrying the anointing of God, people will follow you. Because vision is contagious. These men, they focused on the giants. And the giants threatened them without even saying a word. The giants had the victory that day. The giants didn't even know they were there. The giants didn't even see them, but they chose to focus on the giants. What are you setting your eyes on? They knew nothing about the giants, these guys. They came to a whole lot of assumptions. They had no interaction with them, but they allowed perceptions to govern their judgment, and they abandoned the promises of God. The promises of God were, there's the land, go and possess it. Yes, God, but the giants. God's saying, yes, they're giants. But you know what? There's always going to be a character-building lesson no matter where you go. The giants are there to build a bit of character, to build a bit of faith muscle. But the land is yours. Now, what are you focusing on? The giants 
As I said, they knew nothing about the giants. They, hadn't, they, they knew nothing about it, but they decided to focus on it. And giants are all the same as well. They appear threatening until approached with the right weapon. Goliath <laughs> made a lot of noise. They called him a champion. A champion at what exactly? I have not seen a list of his great battle exploits. I've seen him do a lot of screaming and shouting for 40 days, coming out into the same place every day, because I tell you that Satan is not very creative when it comes to attacking your life. He'll come to exactly the same place and shout exactly the same stuff at you all the time. What was Goliath a champion of? I don't know. There's no list of his great battle accomplishments. But what it does say is that he shouted threats. I'll tell you what Goliath was. He was a poser. He got out there and he posed and he flexed a little bit of muscle and he showed the, 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 the spear that was as big as a weaver's rod, whatever that is, I don't know. But I learned that in Sunday school. <laughs> okay, but you know what? He got to the same place every day and everyone in the Israel army stood there shuddering and shaking. Oh my word, he's back again. Oh my word, what shall we do? How about attack him? I love, David walks onto the battlefield under the anointing of God. He just walks in and says, who's the uncircumcised guy? That's what he says. And he says to them, but we are the armies of the living God. Why are you tolerating him? What you tolerate, you endorse. What you're tolerating in your church life right now, you're endorsing it. He walks in and says, that guy's out of place. The giant was a threat until the man with the right weapon stepped forward and it was a slingshot. And you might say, but that's nothing. How can that conquer anything? Listen, faith can conquer anything. One person with the word of God, one person with the weaponry of the spirit can bring down anything, can bring down strongholds. Goliath did a lot of yelling and posing, but there was very little action coming from him. All the fear that he generated was what I call perceptual fear. Why? Because he looked big. He sounded big. He was big. His threats were big. But his actions were non-existent because when he stepped out against the people of God, he stepped into the realm of God. And therefore, he stepped into a place where he could only move with God's consent because he was on God's territory and God was holding him at bay. I want you to know every attack that comes against you, that attack is coming into God's territory and it's subject to God. And God will allow certain things to get through to build our character. But the victory is ours because the battle is the Lord's. We win in the end. God gave no consent for Goliath to advance. Because God was busy raising up and positioning the one who had the right weapon. The armies of Israel were in fear. Fear conquers nothing. David stepped forward in faith. Faith conquers everything. And the same applies to the spies that we read about. The promise of God was that they would possess the land. Now, if God says you're going to possess the land, then here's the thing, people. You're going to possess the land. If God says you're going to take that building, if God says you're going to be ministering in that school, if God says this area, you are a strategic placement in this area because of what God wants to do in this area, then you've got the land. Now get in there and possess it. What is it that you're trying to, um, to move ahead, move ahead within your church? You're journeying to a possession of something, whether it's a new building, new land, new decor, new format, new music, new leadership, new style, new anything. You are journeying to possess it. 
You will come up against opposition, but it all depends what weapon you're stepping forward with. The nature and the size of the giant is completely and utterly irrelevant. God has guided you so far, and where he guides, he provides, and so that's not even an issue. The size of the giant doesn't matter. It just means it's going to be a bigger thud when he falls. Twelve men saw the same thing. Twelve men witnessed the goodness and the blessing. But there will always be those of us who cannot accept that there will always be an obstacle and that God will sort out the obstacles if we keep him in our focus. What you focused on determines your next step. Caleb then raises his voice and says, hold on, we can do this. Numbers 14, 24 says, Caleb was a man with a different spirit. I love that. I also love the fact that if you break down the word holy, the word holy means different or separated. So it's almost like Caleb was the man with the Holy Spirit in his life. And he was focusing on the milk and honey. We need to be a people of a different spirit to the one that operates in this world. Because the different spirit will set us apart and speak of a different viewpoint. He brought a good report. And so the question is then, whose report will you believe? Whose report will you believe? Caleb focused on the promise and not the problem. And so, by the way, did Joshua. Two spies with good report, ten with bad. Caleb took the stance that there was a land to be possessed and a God who would facilitate the possession thereof. There was a promise to be laid a hold of and there is a God whose promises are yes and amen, which means they are affirmative and they are in agreement with heaven. That's what amen means. So God has got a purpose for your church. God has got a future for your church. And it's better than the past of your church. You might have a fantastic past that you're proud of, but we can't live there. We've got to follow the cloud to where God is going. And we need to celebrate that fact. And what you're focusing on is going to determine how the steps you're going to take to get there. There was a promise to be laid a hold of. I can tell you that in this life, there will be a valley. There will be a shadow. There will be a battle and there will be a giant. But as long as our trust is in the Lord, there will be deliverance and there will be praise. There will be fulfillment. There will be victory. There will be us being more than overcomers. The power of the blood of Jesus still avails today. And the church is standing on the rock of Christ. The future is good. The future is good. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not, lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3 verse 5. Numbers 14 verse 5 to 9. Let's just pick the story up again here. Numbers 14, 5 to 9. It says, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land. They tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. The key here, people, is their protection is gone. And this then begs the question, 
Who do you think God is with? Do you think he's with the enemy or with you? Obviously, we know the answer to that, but we tend not to always live it out. Yeah? Don't assume that just because the majority was saying one thing that they are right. Ten guys said, no, no, the land is eating the people there. They're all giants. But two guys came back and said, but I thought God said we should take possession of the land. So all those other things, even if they were true, are just peripheral. They're just on the sidelines. But let's just focus on what God has said, and all these things just fall away. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Don't assume that just because the enemy looks impressive and organized that God is with them. The voice of the righteous is usually in the minority. Fact. The negativity of the ten causes God's wrath to be poured out on Israel and they're condemned to wander for another 40 years in the desert because they did not trust God. I want you to know this. Pessimists will always wander in the deserts of their own making. Negative people die in the deserts of their own negativity. We can't tolerate that sort of thing. People who do not believe enough to trust him waste years going around in circles when if they had just trusted and obeyed, God would have performed a miracle before their very eyes. I wonder how many times we haven't seen the miraculous because we just didn't believe enough to pray enough, to walk enough, to step out enough. I'm trusting God for a breakthrough for some of us today. We're going to come into a time in a few minutes where I want us to start praying breakthrough prayers. We're going to start wakening up the prophet in each one of us. And we're going to start prophesying into our own church lives, into our own personal lives. Are we up for that? I'm trusting God for that. Come on. What these 10 negative men failed to realize was that the giants were already conquered. You see, Caleb and Joshua were saying, yeah, yeah, they're giants, but man, look at the milk and honey. What are they focusing on? Look at the milk and honey. Look at the grapes. Look at the land. Wow, yeah, giants. Yeah, but never mind them. You know, get out the way. We're looking at the milk and honey right now. The rest were saying, we couldn't see the milk and honey. The giants were in the way. Negative people start believing their own negativity until the truth becomes distorted. Look again at Numbers 13, 33. I just love this. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. How did they know? How did they know what the Nephilim were thinking of them? The Nephilim didn't even see them. But that's what we do. We talk up the devil. We talk up the opposition. We talk up all the bad things that might happen until we say to ourselves, that person thinks nothing of me. How do you know? (laughs) We start to assume our own defeat before we've even done anything. How do they know what the giants thought of them? We fabricate things when there's no evidence to back it up. Too many churches are held back by negative people. Too many individuals have listened to the voice of the crowd. That's something that becomes so easy for us as leaders, isn't it? Because we want, we want, to, we want to have a paycheck at the end of the month. You know what I mean? We want, we want to have a job. I'm talking, we're talking frankly here, aren't we? We, we, don't want to be, you know, we don't want to fall out with everybody. <laughs> but what we've got to do and realize sometimes is that God has put something inside of us. And there is always going to be an opposition. There's always going to be something that rises up against us. If every new step that we take in Jesus' name has no opposition, I've got to question whether it was from Jesus or not. You know, because everything he did was questioned. 
What right have we got to think that we're going to go through life unchallenged when they took the only perfect man that ever existed and they nailed him to a cross? And here we are with all our failures. We're going to get it wrong. But sometimes we've got to trust what God has put inside of us. That fire that burns. That fire that, that was in that, in, the, in that burning bush and standing in front of Moses. I'll tell you what the key thing was, though, was that fire had to transfer from the bush into his heart. May we catch that fire again for what God wants us to do. God is not with the enemy. And with God before me, who can be against me? We sang that earlier on, didn't we? We need to be listening not to the voice of the crowd, but to the voice of the different spirit that says in Christ we can do all things. We surely can. God is with us, not with the enemy. The enemy isn't the people in your church, by the way. So don't start writing a list of people you're going (laughs) to have a go at tomorrow. (laughs) All right. It's not the people. It's the spirit that exploits situations in your church. And causes a giant to come up against you. I've had to challenge some people sometimes. And you know take them aside and say. Your negativity or your attitude towards something. You're actually allowing the devil to have a foothold. Now I'm not saying you're demon possessed. Or you're a wicked person. You're a wonderful member of our church. But you know what. Your attitude is just opening a doorway. And we need to close that doorway. (laughs) And sometimes we, we have. What you tolerate you endorse. We can't, there's certain things we cannot be tolerating. Giants of fear, giants of intimidation, giants of doubt, giants of financial lack, giants of negativity, giants of indecisiveness, giants of frustration, giants of discouragement, giants of tiredness, giants of red tape when you're trying to apply for something. They conquered that giant in this place. But they came up against it, didn't they, Pete? (laughs) Yes, there are giants. But like Goliath, the moment they step out in front of us, they become subject to our destiny. When Goliath stepped out onto the battlefield, Goliath became subject to David's destiny. And David's destiny was not death in the valley. It was the throne of rulership. And so Goliath had to fall. The writing was on the wall. When the enemy comes up against us, when somebody with an attitude comes up against us, they are subject to our destiny and what is written over our lives. My destiny is to be a giant slayer. How about yours? Your destiny in Christ is secure and every giant that threatens you will fall when you stand in front of it armed with the words of faith. What are your giants? It's a rhetorical question. What are your giants? So what's your church facing right now? Um, if you're not leading a church, what are you facing right now in the department that you're leading, the team that you're heading up? Maybe just in your own personal life, what is your giant right now? That giant's only going to threaten you until you stand in front of it with the right weapon. And then the giant falls. Also, that giant standing on land that God's told you to possess... What are you going to do about it? What are we going to do? Prayer is our weapon, you see. What are your giants? It is defeatable, but it all depends on what you're focusing on. I also believe 
and this is a great example of that, is we need to kill the giants of our own generation so that when you hand the church over to the next generation, listen, they've got giants they'll be fighting all by themselves. But let's have killed the giants of our generation so they don't have to fight those giants as well as the next ones to come. This church has been set up for the next generation. Pete's moving on. That's no secret. Pete's taking up a lecturing post at Madison Bible College. And the new man is here. Where is he? Right over there. Going to be taking over the leadership of the church here. But you know what? It's been set up for you. It's like it's been set at the golf balls on the tee. You, you're going to whack this out of sight. You know? Because it's been set up. Sometimes as pastors, we, we don't want to deal with stuff. Because, you know, it, or it, it, it affects you. Let's, let's be honest. When, you, when we have eruptions in the church, it affects your appetite. It affects your sleep patterns. It affects how grumpy you are with your wife and kids. Yeah? My wife knows when I'm battling with stuff because I spend a lot more time gaming on the computer. That's just my escape. And she'll come and sit next to me and she'll say, pause your game. <laughs> what? Wives don't understand. There's some games you can't pause. It just ruins the whole thing. <laughs> she'll say, pause the game. What's on your mind? <laughs> yeah? Because these things affect us. We need to understand that, but we also need to understand that the victory is ours when the battle is the Lord's. These are realities that we face. And this is why we have these zone meetings, not so that somebody can stand up here and say, listen, mate, I've got it all together. You better catch up. No, no. It's for us to say we're in this together. <laughs> you know, we're here to build faith with one another. We're here to warfare for one another. You know, in, in, in the zone that, that I'm sort of, in charge of leading. You know, I want nothing more than for f all the churches to be flourishing and killing their, their giants and setting it up for the next generation. You know, so the, ne the next generation, they've got, they've got giants that they'll be fighting by themselves. So let's make sure our giants are dead before they take over. I urge us to look at the milk and honey that lies beyond the giant. Let's be giant killers today. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.